Hi everyone, I'm Tommy, your host, and welcome on a new episode of the Anxiety Free Podcast. We're here to talk openly about mental health because it matters to share our stories and hopefully help each other. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and give me a review, which is going to help me to grow the pod and so you won't miss the next episode. You know how much I am convinced that school and education should play an important role in mental health, how to accept your emotions, how to let them be and how to canalize them. I'm sure we probably wouldn't have that much mental health issues in our adult life. I met Marina. She created more than 20 years ago Beautiful Minds. She's on a mission to provide support and tool for family with some workshops. And she sometimes do her workshop in schools. How amazing. So everyone, please welcome Marina. Hi, Tommy. It's so wonderful to be on your podcast this morning. Um, I'm really honored to be able to have such an important conversation with anyone who's struggling with anxiety this morning. So thanks for having me. Well, thanks, Marina. I'm the one honored to have, to have you on the podcast. And I'm going to tell you why. It's it's because I've been talking with many, many people on this podcast. And I feel like when we talk about the roots of the anxiety, everyone's going back to their childhood. Everyone. And me too. Um, a lot of like childhood traumas, uh, they, are st- they are still in there and they have like impact and consequences like in their daily life today. So, and I've always been saying that education should be different uh, and, and to talk about mental health. So talking about talking with someone who is talking to kids, that's very important for me, but you had anxiety as well. I mean, you still have, you have, I think when you've when you've been diagnosed with anxiety, to some degree, you will always have it lingering in the background, um, because really, it's just it, it pops up when I feel that I'm not aligned in my day to day life. So when I'm not getting enough sleep, or I'm not eating the right food, or I'm really stressed with work, then I can start to feel um, little glimmers of it, definitely. But I am I am cured, which is amazing. But I went through um, a really horrific journey for many many years with anxiety. So um, for me, it was actually uh, started as anxiety. It was left um, undiagnosed for many years, and then went into agoraphobia. Um, and when I was in that full blown agoraphobia, I was uh, in my room for a year, didn't leave, didn't engage with anyone, um, and and that was really really you know very full on, very challenging. Okay. Okay. When was that? That was when I was probably late, uh, late teens. So probably from the age of about 14 was when I started having the, um, the initial anxiety. And then it just went on for many, many years. Um, because I, you know, you can imagine that back then we were not having the conversations, the open, great conversations that we're having now. And so many people just didn't understand anxiety. Doctors didn't really know how to cure it. Um, and for me, as a young girl, I actually didn't even understand what it was. I just had these feelings where at times I actually thought I was going nuts because it just um, was something I couldn't really verbalize to my family or to peers as to what was going on inside. It didn't make sense to me. So I didn't expect it to make sense to anyone else. So I actually sat in isolation for many years until I could really comprehend what was going on. And the, the moment for me that I knew that I had anxiety was when I was sitting at a dinner table with some of my parents' friends. 
and one of the um one of the ladies at the table started talking about the fact that she had been going through anxiety and I was listening to her symptoms and her journey and I sat there as a young girl and I went oh my god I've got what she's got and I and I got it wow okay and then like from from that moment you start you started to like maybe like treat yourself and properly yeah look it was a big journey because um you know for me it's It's not a one-off treatment no it's (laughs) not and it's something with anxiety that you've got to hit from all sides you know it it's it's the food you eat. It's the amount of sleep that you have. It's the the daily rituals that you set up for yourself to make your life better. Um, therapy doesn't work for everyone, and you've got to look at a, a number of different um, alternative ways as well. Um, and and everyone is so different with what works for them. But for me, I threw myself in um, to it with you know with everything that I had because I was so determined to fix myself. I knew that I couldn't leave that responsibility up to anyone else because it was my mind. Um, and I had let it go and allowed it to kind of grow into this this beast and I now needed to sort of take control. Have you changed anything in particular in your life, like maybe something big to make sure you don't have anxiety anymore? Like I... I'm French, as you're probably going to hear. And um, I was living in Paris, and that's where my anxiety was the strongest. Um, maybe my environment wasn't that good at that time. I'm from South of France normally, but then, like, in Paris, everything is busy, crazy. Um, and, um, yeah, maybe my environment wasn't that good, so that's why I moved to Australia. And then even though, like, I st- I started to do like therapy and things like that, but I, I wanted to escape um, my environment. So I feel like that helped a lot. Mm, mm. What was yours? Um, a number of things, um, definitely a number of things. For me, it's the balance of doing the things in life that um, are essential for day-to-day stuff um, and then doing the, the doing the things for me that actually calm me down, that fill me up, um, that uh, – th- that are mindful activities that I can just take myself out of, you know, the grind, the day-to-day grind. And I think that's so important because we always we always allocate a tiny bit of time in life for joy and a huge amount of time for stress. And we need to flip it on its head um, and we need to kind of look at, like we have the option to live any way that we want to live and to do anything with our lives that we want to do. But so many of us sit in this kind of um, habit of, well, it's just going to be Groundhog Day every single day. And I think that we have to mix things up. We have to go, okay, if I could take a magic pill right now and I could change my life and it could look any way that I wanted it to look, what would it look like? Because often anxiety is underneath it is, well, most of the time is fear um, and it's not being happy with, with situations that are in your life. Um, for some people with anxiety, there's a lot of anger. It's anger about life. And we know that under anger is always sadness. So I think it's just looking at life and making sure, um, you know, what can you change and where can you bring more joy into your world? And you'll find that you feel happier overall. And so obviously your experience with anxiety drove you to beautiful minds 
Um, can you tell me a bit more about what's Beautiful Minds? Yeah, sure. So, um, so I went on uh, this journey for many, many years. And what I found when we finally immigrated to Australia was that there was no support um, for anyone that was struggling with just mental health in general. It didn't have to be anxiety. Um, and for me, I come from a great family. I had amazing support, but I still couldn't get the support I needed for many years. And there was no headspace there was no Beyond Blue. There was no organisations looking after young children that needed support. And so I launched Beautiful Minds. I started it in my garage 21, almost 22 years ago now. And I, you know, I took a, a pretty hard route by going into the schools and trying to pitch them this concept of actually having hard conversations, important conversations that we needed. And um, many schools were not ready for it. And then I did a very small editorial where I just shared that I was going to be running these workshops for young people. And the phone went nuts. I literally was doing workshops from Cairns, Townsville, Mackay, like getting in my car, going all over. Um, and it was just me at that stage. Um, obviously, now fast forward 21 years, we're in, you know, over a thousand schools. We've got a massive team of, of presenters. We run retreats. We run our own programs uh, Australia-wide, which is great, and we're just about to go global with our digital programs. But my passion came from wanting to support and give young people the science-supported tools that they needed to change their lives and give the parents those tools as well because the parents and the carers are the ones that are raising these young people and they may be fighting their own demons uh, or going through their own their own things. So if the, you know, for us at Beautiful Minds, we believe that home is the hero. And so if the whole home environment can be incredibly harmonious um, and we can support every member in that family, then people are going to have a better life. They're going to be better members of their community. Mm. What's the biggest part of your business? Is it the school or the family that reach out to you? Definitely the families, definitely supporting the, the families. Um, I think we, you know, with schools, we have, we're so restricted by what we can do when we go into the schools. Whereas when we work with families, we have an amazing team of global experts at Beautiful Minds. We've got a great partnership with, um, with Stanford University. We work with Andrew Huberman. We've got a great partnership with Harvard University. And so we run these like amazing immersive experiences that are um, creative and colorful and fun and bring in music and all these awesome elements. But we're wrapping really important science supported tools and learnings around that. Um, and for us, it's, it's so important that we create that real behavioral change. So we don't want to see a family once. We want to go on a journey with a person and know that we worked with them when they were seven. And let's see how they, how do they go in their life? Mm, right. And do you have to do the work on the kid or on the parent? <laughs> <laughs> Good question. It's got to be on both. It's got to be on both because, you know, we know that, say, for example, with mobile use, parents are always saying to us, oh, my child sits on their phone for too long. Okay, well, you can't expect your child to get off their phone if you're sitting on your phone over dinner. So everyone in the family needs to buy in um, to what's going on. And, and unfortunately, as human beings, what we know is that we don't often fix anything until it's really broken. So um, we often put things off and we put things off until we can see a real crisis 
uh, in front of us. And we need to not do that. We need to just have systems and have um, habits that we do every every single day so we don't get to that crisis end. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, abs- abs- absolutely. Um, I wanted to know... Um, why did you specifically want to help ch- children and teenagers? You you said that there was uh, no organization at that time, but like you could have gone a different pathway, right? Look, I could have, but I think you always heal what you need to heal. You know, you always work on what you need to heal. So for me, I really wanted to work with young people because I knew what I had gone through. Um, and I felt that if I could bring, and it was never intended to be a business, it was never intended to be a business. So for me, I was either going to go into property um, or I would have gone down a completely different career path. This was a passion project. Um, and, you know, 21 years later, I'm still I'm still in my passion project. <laughs> <laughs> That's scary for me. Yeah. So it, was, it, was, it was never set out. Like when I started, I didn't have a website or a logo or any business plan or any um, – any mapped out journey. It was just, I wanted to help. I wanted to feel like I was, a you know, I was contributing to my community. Mm. Um, when you're going in schools, um, do you feel like how kids are open to your topics and how do they react to your intervention interventions? So when my team goes into schools, um, the kids are desperate for this content. And we always find that when we've done a big school visit, so many of my presenters will get messaged personally uh, in Instagram or Beautiful Minds will get messaged in Instagram because these are conversations that these kids are so desperate to have and they either can't have them at home um, because the parent doesn't understand or they just want to have someone who's a third party. So kids are really open to it. They want to because if they're not going through it, which a huge percentage of them are after COVID, then they know someone who is. So it's a very, um, a very personal thing for a lot of kids. So they reach out to you like themselves or like their parents? No, no, they, the kids actually will reach out to us and say, that was an amazing session. I've been going through anxiety or my brother's going through anxiety and they share their story to us, um, which is really just shows you how much of a need there is. You know, there's there's so much government funding that's being thrown towards big organisation groups and we're not fixing the problem. In fact, it's actually getting worse, um, which tells me that something is not working. Yeah. Do, so when they reach out to you, do you follow up with them or how do you process how you process because they're not in age to pay probably and yeah look we always always follow up with them and then obviously give the school a report um back if we've had any sort of concerns or we've had any feedback from kids that we need to pass on to the schools because we've got that duty of care but sometimes kids just want to talk they just want to have a conversation they just want to be heard and know that what they're going through is okay, it's fixable, and that they have cheerleaders on the side for them if they need any help. Hmm. I'm going to ask you a question, but I feel like I know your your answer already. (laughs) Um, So you you think, obviously, that school and education have a role to play in mental health? Massive role to play. I, I I don't believe that we need to put the pressure on the school to parent the child. That is the parent's job, and parents need to be parents. 
but kids spend 80% of their time at school. And so the content that they receive in those four walls of their classroom, it's so essential that it is positive, nurturing, supportive, giving them the right life skills, um, you know, for them to be able to use. And most of the time, I would say that the thing that gets thought of the least when it comes to schools is the mental well-being funding. They just don't, they just don't put enough in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, but even, even I think that, yeah, um, you know, like the same way we talk about sex when we are in, in school, like I feel like mental health should be part of it, but it shouldn't be one intervention. I feel like that's very amazing what you're doing, but that should be embedded in like in every day, like one one hour a week, we, we should be talking about that, that type of thing at school. And that's the frustrating thing for us because when we do our own programs to the general public, they'll come to a Beautiful Minds experience, they'll go straight into our parenting portal, which is a Beautiful Minds app, and they'll get ongoing support for as many years as they want it. In that parenting portal, they're free masterclasses, they can re-engage with us. So we've got that longevity. We want that long relationship because it doesn't take a day to heal. You know, as human beings, we are growing, changing. You know, It's a cycle of life. So I agree with you. You know, for us, we find the schools very difficult because a one-hour session is not good enough. Yeah. And... On that matter, like, have you reached out to politics or, so, or something like that, or this is like something you don't want to you don't want to touch? No, no, I um I took myself into uh, Parliament House uh, in September two thousand and nineteen to campaign for mental health education that was standardised across the board. Because what I don't understand is that a year seven child in Tasmania and a year seven child in you know, Brisbane is learning the same math syllabus, but we are not standardizing the mental health content across the board. Schools just pick and choose whatever presenters they want to come in and they don't even know, you know, who's created that content and that the people on on board are actually um, even worth their salt in terms of what what they're giving out as information. And so we took our whole team in, backed by Stanford, backed by Harvard. We've got Dr. Bessel van der Kolk on our team. He's the world's leading trauma expert. Um, we've got some of the world's best mental well-being experts who are creating our content. And our pitch was that, A, beautiful minds don't get any funding and we would like funding, and, B, that we would like to standardise the content so there's a curriculum that supports children with measurable outcomes so that we know how the child is going um, and it just wasn't picked up because unfortunately the big organizations are funded by the government um, backed and uh, you know the board members on on those in those organizations a lot of them are ex-politicians so it, it it I feel it doesn't suit the government to fix this problem yeah, they probably don't want to fix the problem to the root. That's the thing. They prefer to like um, say, everyone on Xanax, everyone, that's fine. You're going to be all right. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> so. you tell me you tell me where you are in a role in work and you do worse every single year, worse every single year, but yet you're still able to keep going. That is our mental health organizations in this country. They are failing year in and year out, but yet, there is over 90 million per organization that they get in funding every year. 
So I just think that we have got a really horrific issue um, in this country. I know there's, there's mental health issues all over the world, but I'm Australian and I'm passionate about this country. And I think that there is so much that, that needs to be done. When you are a kid, is trauma easier to heal? It is much easier to heal when you're a child. So, you know, between the age of eight and 14 is when we really, for kids, we uh, they get to set their success identity. So um, their little character is building, their success identity is developing. And so if we do not address the issues that are going on between eight and 14, it is five times harder to then try and pull those issues back as kids get older. And so when... You know, when we're working with parents, we're always saying to them, if you see your child having friendship issues, um, anxiety, uh, they've just been diagnosed with ADHD, whatever it is, get them the support that they need and make it a priority because it becomes that much harder when they step into their teen years. Yes, of course. And when they, they're becoming an adult, like this is the kind of the thing that you, you carry for like a couple, couple of years in your, all the, your relationships and everything. Um, I can, I can still, I can still feel like, even if I don't have anxiety, but I know that some of my issues today is, are because of my trauma, traumas in, in the past. Like uh, I'm a bit like a social, anxious uh a little bit like i'm not comfortable comfortable in a group of people but I, i definitely know that's um because of school yeah um do you know what's um based on what you've been seeing what's wrong in general um look i think that we were it was spiraling out of control for many years for a number of reasons um we've added social media to the mix Um, we've had horrific bushfires in Sydney that was very traumatic for a lot of families. Then we topped that with three years of lockdowns um, nationwide where kids were terrified and adults were terrified, so the news was on all the time, which then really put everyone in this pressure cooker situation where they felt um, frozen in fear. There's, there's a lot that's been added and the world is a scarier place. And unfortunately, I think that there is way too much media that's just on in the background in, in family homes and kids are picking up on it. Parents are stressed because of money, because of loss of work, um, all those sorts of things. That filters down to their kids. Um, we've had higher divorce during covid And I just think that families have gone through families have gone through absolute hell. I mean, we have heartbreaking stories every single day from families that are really, really struggling. You know, people that were classed as an average Australian household are really, really struggling to actually put food on the table. And so when you've got this combination of different things being thrown at a family, it puts pressure on the adults who are the heroes and the leaders in that family. And they struggle to lead. And because they're struggling to lead, their children are feeling unsafe. The children are picking up on their energy, their fear, and they are internalizing that. And that's when they're going off and they're having all their issues that come with it. And we even see that kids that are going into the schoolyard that are bullying other kids, it's from what's going on, obviously we know it's going what's going on in the home environment. 
We have seven and eight-year-old kids that show up to our workshops that say to us that they've got crippling anxiety. And when we actually get to the nuts and bolts of what's going on for them, they are scared that their dad's going to lose their job. Those sorts of things. So kids pick up everything. They're these little sponges. And I know it's so hard for us as adults because we've got so much on our plate. But if we can make sure that we're leading in a family home and that we're bringing in really beautiful little daily rituals that make our family members feel safe, the home environment is where there can be no conflict because the rest of the world has got enough conflict out there. So I always say to parents, as soon as you get to your front door, drop all the shit from the outside world. Don't take it into your home environment, as hard as that is. And put your put your home together as a place that feels safe because then your children will feel safe and then they won't act out. You know, they won't have issues where they're not sleeping at night. There's just this ripple effect of so many things that happen when there is no harmony in the home. Yeah, and it's some sometimes like when we are a kid, like the trauma is is nothing. Some just sometimes it's just like this little sentence that your parents had said that probably was wrong at that time, or probably you pick it was wrong, or maybe like you so like I remember my mom being angry at my dad. I mean, just like everyone, <laughs> every family, every family, family. But I remember this, and like for for some reason, it has an impact in my relationships today. Like I'm like, oh, I wouldn't trust anyone. Blah 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 blah. blah. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, we we even talk to to the dads a lot because we do a lot of amazing father and son programs. And one of the dads turned to, around to us recently. He said, "Thank you so much for teaching us these tools, these science supported tools that we can use." Because what he had noticed was. He was coming home from work and barking orders at his son and his son was arcing back up and there was this dreadful conflict in the home environment where his eight-year-old son was punching the bedroom door and he was so angry because the relationship between father and son was so strained and the father couldn't see the energy that he was bringing at this little boy every single day. And so... I know it's tough. We are living in very tough times at the moment, um, very, very tough times. But I just think you've got to realize that every person reacts for a reason. Yeah. Well, I'm going to give you the contact of my dad and then let's see what you're going to do with him. <laughs> Bring him my way. I'll sort him out. I'll sort everyone else. So, yeah. No, look, it's just not necessary. We've just got to learn to communicate differently we've got to be more responsible for our well-being and take um take our power back um and own a little bit more people just um get given a lot of opportunities to make their life better and sometimes they just don't um and 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 we want to kind of change that we want to inspire people to to make small changes so that their life is easier for them so you you were talking about like some coping mechanism for and what people have to do um, as a parent. But what are you teaching to a kid? The same tools. So our tools are very fun, very dynamic, very actionable, easy to remember. They're all science supported and they work in real time because what we know is when you're feeling anxious, you can't say to someone, well, just whip out a yoga mat and go and take half an hour and, and calm yourself down because you might be in the middle of a city. 
you might be just about to start a board meeting where you've got to talk to people and pull your pull yourself together. So the tools have to work in real time. They have to be very quick and they have to be something that you always remember to do. So those tools get taught to both kids and adults so that everyone is able to use them, um, have success from them and use them every single day when they need them. We're dealing with people with anxiety and especially kids sometimes who are very without any defense. Um, how do you take care of your mental health? Because <laughs> sometimes there's some days that you you might be thinking, wow, that was a rough one. Yeah, look, and we all have it. I think the problem with us as human beings is that we expect um, life to be like this. And it's not. It's like a wave. It's up and down. We have great days. We have horrific days. Um, and I am very much of the opinion that if you're having a shocking day, just pack it in a box, be done with it and know that tomorrow is another day. And don't be so hard on yourself. And so for me, for my mental health, um, you know, there are a number of things that I that I like to do, whether it's go for a walk um, or, you know, spend time with my family or do something creative. I love being in my garden um, at the farm. That makes me feel very calm. So just doing things that, um, for me, bring me joy. But we don't win every day and that's okay. You know, it's, it's, it's not amazing every single day. Mm, yeah. Do you, do you have, um, any success story with like, um, a kid or, or even like a whole, a whole family who were like struggling with anxiety? So, um, for us, we do a lot of mapping after all of our events just to see how families go. And there's some really beautiful stories that have come into us, um, over the, the years, um, from family members. So, you know, it, it's about giving family members the ability to come together, to reconnect, um, to learn these amazing tools and then to go back into their home, um, and to live better, to live in, in harmony with each other. Um, so we've had some great stories over the years. Absolutely. I have a very last question and that's the same question that I'm uh, asking to all my guests is, um, I want to have an advice from you for, um, any people currently struggling with anxiety or are hesitant to seek for help and support. Let's start looking at anxiety as a bit of a gift because it is something that um, shows us that we're not running our life in the way that we should be running it, right? And so, you know, that's the first thing that I'm going to say. And, you know, when we when we get sick and we've got a cold or flu, we're, we're able to just know that we don't feel great and we can sit in bed for a few days and then we heal and we get better. I think with anxiety, we've got to remember it's just an, an uncomfortable physical sensation. It is not going to kill us. But one of the things that we don't want to do is we don't want to feed the beast by living in isolation. So the more that we can talk about it and share and ask for help and lean on other people, the better it's going to be because of people that are in your world that love you, understand what you're going through, you're going to feel more supported and then the anxiety doesn't um, grow bigger. And the biggest thing with people that struggle with anxiety is the fear of having another panic attack. But it's just, a, it's just a horrible physical sensation and it passes. You will live through it. And what you have to ask yourself when you're going through that experience is what in my life is currently not working? 
Yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. And uh, talking about like when, when you have a, a panic attack and when you are a kid, do you have access to all this medication that we have as an adult or? Um, kids, no, not really. Um, and also, you know, it's, it's, we've got to be very clear with kids because sometimes they're using the word anxiety very easily and very quickly. And all they've got oh, like is. An adult, really. <laughs> Absolutely. So, you know, it's really what we do as well with our work at Beautiful Minds is get people to really understand the difference between um, normal nerves and butterflies and that feeling when you, you're you really nervous to do something, but once you've done it, that, uh, that feeling passes. Um, people are very quick to label themselves as having anxiety when they don't necessarily always have it. So I think just that that alone is really powerful to know whether you just have butterflies and and nerves which we need our greatest sports men and women our greatest performers have huge amounts of nerves before a game or a concert they've just learned how to channel that and to go and to be the best that they possibly can and to use it at their as their advantage a lot of the rest of us don't like feeling uncomfortable so we run away from it And we think, oh, this feels uncomfortable. I'm just going to sit at home. But we've got to get out there and live. So we've actually got to take that nervous energy and do it anyway. Go forward. Yeah, exactly. Like, um, that's what I've been saying. Like, I um, participate to a, a submit for the, the queer community when I'm talking about anxiety. And um, that was my final point, actually. I was saying, like, your anxiety is telling you something so if you're not listening and if you're not like doing any actions because of it like you will never heal because like your medication is doing like part of the problem and and you need to do something else just like what i what i did i was like okay i don't like my atmosphere i want to my, my, not my atmosphere my environment and i want to i want to get out of here and i and i went to australia and then i was like okay i'm feeling better Yeah, the land of the koala. He's not going to be relaxed here. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, like when I arrived, it was the bushfire and then we had, co oh, we no. had COVID, but I did stay. Yeah. I did stay. <laughs> <laughs> well, you had to because we had COVID. Yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> well, Marina, um, thank you. Um, thank you for, 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 for coming to the podcast today. Um, that's very wonderful what, what, what you're doing. And um, that's a, amazing idea like literally i've been talking about that type of idea and that we need to talk a bit more to to kids and the fact that you're doing it and for 20 years that's that's even better i just wish that um you know our future kids have this normalized uh, in school just like you said so uh, and maybe you can be a teacher and and come to every class every, every week <laughs> No, <laughs> no. <laughs> once in a while, that's okay. <laughs> yeah, I do think, no, teachers do an amazing job. I do think, though, that um, it would be amazing when this podcast goes up to your audience, even for, for, for your audience, just to share something that they know works for them or that has helped them because it's by sharing our stories and sharing what works is really powerful. And I think, um, I think that would be, be great to hear what, else every, what, what everyone else is doing out there. Yes. Thank you, Marina. Pleasure. Have